What is a deconstruction? Is it the same thing as a deconversion, or are the two often intertwined in an interesting way? Let's talk about all of the folks who are supposedly deconstructing and then deconverting from Christianity. Hi, my name is Jonathan Fiala. On behalf of Further Every Day, thank you for being here. Your host sitting in the chair of the producer is joined by five others. we got a full house. Miss Nikki in the chair of theology. How's it going? Good. Good morning. Morning. Clint, chair hey. of philosophy. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. Glad to have you there. And Mr. Charlie. Good afternoon. It is afternoon. It is afternoon. Slightly afternoon. It is afternoon. Yep. Somewhere it's good morning. But yes. this, this is going to be good. In the chair of culture. And Steve Johnson. Right on, right on, man. I'm politics. here. Yes, yeah, sure. And we Not got the ash for just a minute. Correct. Top of the morning to you. <laughs> Top of the morning back you to you. like 60 people right there. <laughs> All right. So let's lay out terms because we just had a very vigorous discussion about how to lay this out so it's not confusing. Okay. So the off-air discussion probably should have been had on air and it would have been actually more interesting. But if we could kind of sum up really quickly the deconstruction versus deconversion. I want Mr. Pomeroy, Mr. Charlie, to go ahead and grab the definition of deconstruction. Yep. A method of critical analysis of philosophical and literary language, which emphasizes the internal workings of language and conceptual systems, the relational quality of meaning, and the assumptions implicit in forms of expression. Okay. That is a mouthful, effectively to say nothing more than this is an issue of a philosophical rationalization of one's belief, or rather a de deconstruction for the rationale for something else. Mr. Johnson, I want you to get us that definition of deconversion. Yes. Let me see here. I got it right here. Deconversion is defined as the loss of one's faith in a religion and a return to a previous religion or non-religion. In the case of those who deconvert from Christianity, deconversion means giving up Christianity in, a, in exchange for a different religion, spiritualism, or no religion, such as atheism or agnosticism so let's go ahead and deconstruct that shall we if you will be so kind now one moment while here while i get this there we go do 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 sorry guys i'm producing in the chair here and i'm running a flight here sorry <laughs> all right all right so usually deconstruction is something that occurs when someone wants to break down rationalize the deconversion by breaking down the tenets of their faith. And I think it's really important that we go ahead and hear it from some people who've actually deconstructed and deconverted, so to speak. And I want to go ahead and throw that up here. This is actually a, an excerpt from Ear Biscuits. This is Rhett and Link, one of the most famous cases of deconstruction. Let's just hear a couple minutes of their podcast on this get him to understand the dynamic here even though my parents really really love me um because i have deconverted and 
publicly deconverted. It's kind of a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Not only am I no longer a Christian, but I'm this public figure who talks about it. Um, you know the world that we come from, and you know how those kids are seen, right? You know how people see me, and that impacts them. And the thing that I've, I'm trying to say in this song as well is that, like, well, to finish that thought, I was like, Locke, if, you know, we've kind of raised you according to a certain worldview, it's a much more permeable worldview than the one that I was given. Uh, I'm not telling you exactly what to think, but there are certain values and there are certain things that we hold, you know, leading with love and, and, and being kind of the main value. And I was like, if you were to like go off That's and important. become some guy who was like contrary to this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in some way, there's multiple ways that you could do that. Like that would be difficult for me, but multiply that times 10 when I would become worried about your eternal destiny. That's what my parents live with. And that's what the parents of many people who've deconstructed and deconverted live with. Thankfully, we still have a great relationship and we're, we are, we love each other and love trumps everything else, right? The love is stronger than the faith. Mm. which that's oh, what my. Jesus himself said, right? Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. If you lose the love, you've lost the plot. Hmm. Um, so, you're not wrong, but you're wrong. But I mean, that doesn't, I feel bad. Like the idea of my mom crying about me yeah. in my eternal destiny, that hurts. Yeah. It hurts you because it hurts her. Yeah. You know, it, you know, you, you broke their hearts. Yeah. And you didn't do anything wrong, but you certainly don't, you know, the sign-up sheet to break your parents' hearts is not something that people are lining up for. And, you and know, when I say, especially with the type of relationship that you have, you not only had, but have with them. That like, yeah, so you're able to say you did nothing wrong. And what but I mean it's by hard that, for you to say they've done, you know you've done they've done nothing wrong either. The reason I say they've done nothing wrong is because again, I know what it's like to be an evangelical Christian. And when your kids you? depart, not only do you like it's you, built you into that community that you become responsible for it. it the Bible yeah. the Bible basically implies that in a couple of places that like your kids outcome i mean it's it's a gray area for sure there's ways to interpret and get around it but like regardless of what the bible says the evangelical community blames parents for what their kids end up doing okay Mm. i want to throw that around the room because i think that's a really interesting cut and slice of maybe the regret for the sake of the shame for the parents, I I just want to get everyone's gut reaction. Thoughts? Sad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Josh. Josh, get in there. Yeah, I was going to say, what he said was true. I actually think that that does happen quite a lot in evangelicalism, it, it, is that we do blame the parents a lot. Uh, oh. Because a, lar- a vast majority of cases... It, I do believe that the burden does lie with the parents because the parents are going to be ultimately responsible for what they teach their children. But also there is a, there are cases and I think people recognize these cases that their children do not 
come into the faith and they don't accept Christ and they end up being atheist or agnostic or following a different religion. And in those cases though, I don't think that Christians are generalizing them into the other group. Cause I think that both groups are so distinct and they're so noticeable in those scenarios that you'll know which is which and which is the other. So what I took away from that, which I thought was really interesting was how the issue of love, there was not a very good definition of the issue of love. It was non-existent. Yeah. Because here's, here's the deal. The familial love that they were talking about, and that's what they were talking about. The familial love, parent to child, child to parent, does not in any way, shape, or form outdo faith. Yes, the Bible does say faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The thing is, is that's, that's an issue that's relating to God. Familial issues, I, I don't agree with that statement. The issue of faith is super strong. And no matter what amount of love a parent may have for a child or a child may have a parent is not going to get them, if I could break this down in a really super simple way, give them a ticket to heaven. Yeah. It's a faith in Christ, not your parents, and not your parents' love. And not that kind of love for God either. Like, there's a serious misunderstanding of what love is there, and... It's a, it's a conflation with apathy. Yes. With permissive apathy, if you will. Allow them to do what they will do, and that's okay. God does not love you like that. God aggressively pursues Amen. your well-being. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. If your kid is playing in the street and you see a car coming, you do not love that child if you don't shout at that child while you run for them to scoop them up and pull them to safety. If you see that car coming and you say, well, I'll just let them do whatever they want to do. They're their own person. And I suggest that that's apathy borderline on hate. Yes. Just a note there. I, I would agree with that. So that really brings us kind of to, to an interesting point where I kind of want to start to break open the general issue of deconstructing and deconverting in the faith. Josh, I know you've got a short time with us. You wanted to talk about the um, Jesus Revolution, the movie. I did want to talk about the movie, but I also wanted to, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder when they were, when you guys get to the topic of deconverting, but talking about deconversion, is there such a thing as deconverting? Well, I think what you'll find in scripture is that there is no such thing as deconverting. Uh, it'll be mentioned as apostasy in the scripture, but I think apostasy is more so describing people who are not of the faith. And they've kind of outed themselves as never being in the faith. I thought what we were going over today in church when we were talking about first Philippians three through 11 was pretty on the money that if God begins his work, God's going to finish his work. That's so if he begun, you see what I'm saying there? If he began the work, he's going to finish the work that implies that he's not going to not finish the work. Well, and that's something that people have a, fundamental misunderstanding of what salvation is. And I really want to get to Miss Nikki in, in the chair of theology, because there's something really interesting. 
once you understand the mechanics and the nature of salvation, what is it possible for someone to quote unquote deconvert? Is that something that is biblical or is there another explanation for the phenomenon of deconstructing and so-called deconverting? Uh, no, I don't believe there's any such thing as uh, deconversion. Um, and I, let me just start out with Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, okay, that's just that's hone in on that. You're in Christ. He is a new creature. So you've changed. There's a spiritual birth that has taken place there. What's been birthed can't be unbirthed. When well, I give birth to my child, my f- five children, I can't unbirth them. Okay, that birth has taken place. Um, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So now we have a new creature in Christ. A new birth has taken place. Uh, and just like with my children, when you take their DNA, I don't care where they are in this world. Their DNA will testify that I am, they, they are my child. And my DNA, they both will say the same thing. So in Christ... And, you know, once saved, always saved is not a great theology, but once you're in Christ, you can't be out of Christ. Yeah. And the, the once saved, always saved thing, I, I think that that's kind of a reductionist statement that the health philosophy might be fine, but just to walk through this, I've, I've walked through this with some of y'all, but my, my atonement theory slash salvation theory is, 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 is based in, in this. In the garden, were Adam and Eve wearing clothes? Were they wearing clothes in the garden pre-Genesis 3? No. They were naked. naked. Were they righteous? Pause. Were they innocent? Right? Definitely innocent. They were innocent, but they did not have something. They did not have the righteousness of Christ. When they sinned, they were no longer innocent and they were not righteous. And ultimately, they had to wait for Christ's sacrifice to be justified. But in the New Testament, what does it say about heaven? Are we naked in heaven? We're clothed with what? Righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Correct. And that is described as a new being, a new creation. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he sees you as seated with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb now. You want to know why the angel of the Lord, by the way, Jesus pre-incarnation, came to Gideon and said, O mighty man of valor before God, as this coward is hiding in the threshing floor. (laughs) Correct. What did Jesus see? He saw the Gideon that we all admire today, seated with him outside of time and outside of space. So that makes deconversion really hard. That makes deconversion kind of, kind of difficult. I'll I'll call it impossible. I would agree. Because I, 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 and, and Nikki's got a number of verses that really, to me, will show that it's impossible. Agreed. But can I can I add something? And I'm going to say something. It might be a little bit controversial. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure. I mind you. I do not agree with this position. I think the scripture teaches it pretty clearly. But I actually would not consider this person to be 
of a works-based salvation if they submit this. If somebody upholds that you're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, or by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and they say that somebody losing their faith is not a works thing, but it's a, it's just, it's like what we say, faith is a necessary component in the mechanism for salvation. So therefore that we don't classify faith as a work. And then they say, Oh, well, I don't classify faith as a work and somebody loses their faith. And they say, well, there's these scriptures on apostasy. I actually would not consider that person, not a brother in Christ, sure. but just wrong. They would just be wrong. It's like with Calvinism, we would just disagree. And I think that there's biblical reasons to not support it, but I want, sorry, I got off topic there at the beginning. But I wanted to go back to your question about the Jesus Revolution and why Bring this, it home, bud. why this was so interesting. This movie is very successful in America domestically at the box office. It outperformed expectations by triple. I believe it was expected to get six million dollars at the box office. It got twenty million first week. That's incredible. And a lot of people will look at that and say, "Well, hey, Christianity is alive and well in America, mm, or revival is alive and well in America." And what they'll miss is that that movie was a cool, it was a great story. And it's a true story about people who did genuinely come to Christ through this movement. But how many false conversions came about through that because of that movement? Because if you watch this film, you see the inner workings of the, the pastors and, and the, the leaders of it. And there's just a bunch of dysfunction in the family because none of the focus for some of them is on Christ. And so that's something I get scared of with a movie like Jesus revolution and people looking at the results of it and saying, well, Hey, you, you, we're talking about deconversion and how it's such a problem in America, but look at Jesus revolution. It just did so well. If we're pointing to a movie to say, look at how well things are going. And so many people will come to Christ because of this. I'll say, but that's not what happens in a lot of cases. I mean, we saw it with the crusades with Billy Graham. There was a lot of false conversions that happened in those crusades. May May I interrupt? And say there was a lot of that when Jesus was on earth. He remember he fed the 5,000 and the next day many left him. Okay. So there's nothing different under the sun. And we get so uh, excited about numbers. Numbers do not equal conversions. Okay. It it just doesn't. And we got to get over that. Yeah. Go ahead. No, it's, and that's, that's really the big issue. I heard the founder, the, the the not the founder, but the person who directed the movie, he said, if you equate the numbers that the movie has done domestically, it equates to about a million people that have been reached, which I think that's great. And if people come to become to a saving knowledge of, of Christ through that movie, praise God. But that's just the way God works. God can use anything to redeem anybody. But the question is not, can God redeem anybody through any means possible? It's that should we use these means as the means as a metric as a metric and is that what god told us to do absolutely and that's that really plays in well to what we said last week when we talked about what's wrong with contemporary christian music and the way that christians conflate feelings with the moving of the spirit hey josh thank you for your time i see you're having to leave yes, thank you thank you thank you Josh. and we'll send him off with a nice care, little farewell josh. he can't hear this but and a parting uh, gift <laughs> go ahead and go. Thank you for your time. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't give me a soundboard. Anyway. Uh, too late. Too late. Okay. So, but that really does come down to it, doesn't it? 
when we start to conflate emotional response with a leading of the spirit, that's where we start to see dysfunction in the family of God. And I, I, I think it's kind of scary. Well, I think it's an interesting point of relating it back to the book of Genesis. What do we see in the book of Genesis? God uses a bunch of dysfunctional people to accomplish his work. And, you know, to me, the movie is just another tool. It's a, you know, I'm good with the movie. I, I'm, I think it has a, a means of reaching people, you know, but I think Josh is right. If you don't have a focus on Christ coming out of that, you missed it. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, but, um, we were recently talking about this off air about how people lose to quote Rhett or in and link there. They lose the the message. They lose sight of the story. They lose the plot. When they start to focus on the trappings of Christianity as opposed to the actual substance and essence of God moving in people. And so that right there, I think is one of the strongest parts of the puzzle or the the strongest arguments for why deconversions happens because we're not actually converting people in the pew. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit with, with the chair of theology, but conversion biblically, what does that ultimately mean as far as that new creature? Well, you know, the Bible, it talks, um, I'm going to go to, um, John three sixteen and Romans ten ten it says for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life and I want you to think of the word believeth and then Romans ten ten for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness now that's very important that we understand the word believe and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and so um, I'm not going to try to pronounce this. Um, Greek or Hebrew word, but it means to have faith in, upon, or with respect to a person or thing that is credit by implication to entrust, especially one spiritual being to Christ. It's a belief. It's a commitment to trust and to put in, put trust in that individual. So this is, this is where the breakdown comes. Can you once believe and then not believe? Can you have a spiritual birth and then unbirth yourself? You have to define belief. And, and, it, and it really becomes, for example, if I'm going to, if I believe that chair will hold me until I sit in that chair, I have not shown you any faith that I have in that chair. So I have committed myself to sit in the chair as a way of faith that says, I believe that chair will hold me. So I have to do the same thing with Christ. You're dissecting the difference between intellectual assent and a act, an act of trust, of complete entrustment. That word, when you read that word in the Greek or believe, it means an act of, it's almost, it's very similar to an individual putting their money in the bank and they know that it's there and they know that they'll be able to get it out. Well, let's, let's talk about Job. When Job said, even though you slay me, I will trust you. I've lost everything. I've lost my children. I've lost my wealth. I've lost my wife. 
and I'm still going to trust you. That is faith and belief. That's a commitment no matter what comes. I'm here. Man. That's, again, we were talking about the soft air. It's a lot like a child trusting their parent in the swimming pool when they're swimming for the first time and the parent is holding and saying, don't, don't worry. Don't worry, I've got you. Mm-hmm. And then the child begins to trust mm-hmm. completely. So moving over to the chair of philosophy, I want to go ahead and ask you, if the new nature is immutable, i.e. it's not something, it is now a part of the essence of that new creation. If you are to take that as true, then what are these deconstructions in reality? How are we using philosophy to excuse non-belief? So I've been pondering this question for quite a, for throughout the week, right? And I've been asking the wiser gentleman, AKA Big Clint, my dad. Um, and he comes to, yeah, he comes to an interesting conclusion. Like, um, not to step on the chair of theology, but the verse that brings me back is they left from among us because they were never a part of us. Right. See, if we take this renewing of our mind when we're, when we get saved, it's absolute, right? If it's true, if it's in truth, right? If it's a real repentance, it is renewed. But I feel like people, when they get saved, they're like, oh, I'm supposed to be immediately changed. Well, for one, that's wrong because first God has to deconstruct you, right? He has to take away everything that you have and bring you back to a child, right? Say, like, if I get saved young, it's somewhat easier for me to have that immediate change in my life because God has to take fewer things out of me that the world has put in to put what he believes, what the Lord has put back into me. See, if we, man, but, but let me, I want to challenge you on one thing there, there, client. So can that change be immediate? And I believe it can look at the apostle Paul when he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus greets him. Um, his conversion was, immediate there was nothing there that that he really needed to uh, deconstruct per se and and i say that from the perspective of paul knew exactly what was going on he didn't he might not have understood exactly why at the moment but within the next three days he did Mm -hmm. but in support of of clint Paul also had to be for that. Well, yes. his his conversion was immediate. But what Clint was talking about is change may come slowly with knowledge. And Paul had to be sent somewhere to be taught. Remember, remember, he was blind and he went and somebody was sent to him to help him during the time of his conversion. So that is what Clint is talking about. He had three days. But the thing that you, that I think no one has mentioned yet is that there's the work of the spirit occurring actively some people the spirit has teed it up so that there is an instant click and change yes there are some people who are more 
I'm going to use one of their words. One gentleman said at one time, he said, I wish I had one of those testimonies where everything changed and all of a sudden it became easier to live a godly and righteous life. He said, what I have found, in my, and I believe the people who've had those instant changes, he said, what I have found is that God has been working on me slowly, and part of it is because of my own stubbornness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found that to be really interesting and also a point of caution when it comes to, quote-unquote, discerning, I'm not going to use the word judging, discerning whether or not someone is a convert. I would totally agree with that. Yeah, and, and it's, it's not, not to, to take, take away from, from what Clint has said, because he is spot on right on some of it. I just, I want people to understand, there are those that do um, bang, it's it's there. And I don't know, Nikki, you, there's some other verses there that, that I think you're probably going to get into a little bit later, but there's definitely verse additional verses from scripture that really support this issue of this deconstructing, deconverting thing from a Christian as a Christian. No, you're, you're missing it. So see the thing I find most interesting is that when you watch some of these videos, like the one that I was shown by my dad was about Tyler, the Calvinist, the ambit. And he talks about having this, he has religion. That's what I find interesting. Most of them talk about their religion. No one really talks about the relationship with Christ. See, for me personally, I'm not going to lie. I've given up on religion. Let's see. I I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'd rather rather be known as someone that knows their Bible and has a relationship with Christ than being a good religious person. Don't call me a religious person. Insert Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. Whatever it is. <laughs> I don't, I, for me personally, I don't care if you're, you know, Calvinist, non-denominationalist. As long as we have the fundamentals correct, we can be friends. We can be friends, period, right? Um, but the moment you start throwing in some weird, weird stuff like, uh, you know, I have to be saved by working. Man, if I was saved by working, I cannot work enough to get saved for all men fall short to the glory of God. If I had to work, man, I can't do it. Thank God for grace. And that's one of the weird things about Christianity. And I I believe this is part of the phenomenon too, but it is remarkably easy to call yourself a Christian. It is remarkably easy to, it's becoming this way in the West. It's remarkably easy to call yourself a Muslim too, but you go to a fundamentalist nation as America has been a fundamentalist nation. You you go back 100 years, America's a fundamentalist nation. If you didn't live a certain way, people said, out of the church. Uh, and, and by the way, that happens in the Middle East too with Islam. Out of the, the mosque, although usually you, you do the flight test off the top of the mosque, right? But it's easy to call yourself a Christian because all you have to do is say some magic words and say that you ascribe to the teachings of Christ. I call it hijack the name of Christ. Yeah. And by the way, Dennis Prager, if I can find the link, I'll put it in the description below. But there's a really, really interesting quote from Prager where he said, saying, oh, my God, does not send you to hell. I I don't keep going. He, he continues to say what the third commandment is about is bearing the name of God in vain, calling yourself 
by his name and degrading it by not having that relationship of authority under God. I can, I can definitely take that second one. I'm not at all for degrading the name of God when the toilet's jammed. Okay. I just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm not going to degrade God's, God's name to that point. Just saying. So moving over to the chair of culture, moving over to the chair of culture, I want to go ahead and get this from you. It, what is the social incentive for deconstruction? Do we see one in our culture and what does the world do with people who quote unquote deconstruct and deconvert? And then of course, also kind of to Retin Link's conversation, how does the church react to that deconstruction? Well, I don't think the church has done well. If I could start from the end on this, I don't think the church has done very well in addressing the issue. Uh, I'm not sure the church even sees it as a quote unquote issue. And yet in today's culture, especially for the church, it has become a fairly big one only because of what Rhett was talking about in that clip. Okay. How many people know him? Yep. yep. And he's got a following. So he said it himself. Who am I impacting? Right. I mean, so this is a, this is an issue that the church should be addressing. Is it even legit? Now they have in years past, but not under the guise of deconstruction. Uh, I thought the, I think it was Josh a few minutes ago brought up a, a very interesting word, the word apostasy, the falling away. Um, in, in, he and I might slightly disagree there on one thing that he shared, but I will, I will say this. I think I know where he's coming from on that. And I, I do totally agree. The issue for me in terms of what is the incentive socially, everybody wants to belong to part of a group. And I just word it like that. Yes. And you know what? We were created to worship, period. That's the way God created us. And we're going to be part of something. All right. How easy is it to, if, if you are not feeling comfortable with being accountable to God and what he wants, how easy is it to just become part of this group that says, you know what? Done with you, God. Thanks for the time. But we figured this out and you're not real. That, I think, is a very dangerous thing. It's become easy to become part of the fad. Now, and I'm, I use the term fad there. And I don't think this is going away. Fads go away. I don't think this is going away. I don't think it ever did go away. This has been an issue. Nikki said it earlier. There's nothing new under the sun. This is just the same old thing with a different title. And I would argue that the church has been largely blind to this. Yes. And unfortunately, some of the most prominent atheists were told in church when they asked questions like, how could... How could Jesus, you know, be virgin born? Was Mary really a virgin or did she just sleep around? Like, you know, like, like actual honest questions, that, questions that should be, that should be asked. Addressed. And these people were told, how dare you shut up. And so I think in a lot of ways, the church has done this with the deconstruction, deconversion movement as well, where we would like to hide the discomfort because it is so much easier to come in on Sunday and you know, sing our songs, be preached at, maybe go to Sunday school and hang out and then go home and pretend like 
It's all gone, yeah. and there isn't another world. If you even go to Sunday school, John Arthur. Yeah. Some I, people don't even do that. I, I would even say one more thing before I let uh, Steve go further here with that. I would say to parents, look, you may not have a lot of together time around the dinner table. You should have, my belief is, you should have at least one time a day as a family around the table. And you know what? When those difficult questions come up, don't shut your kids off. Amen. Don't, don't shut them off. If you as a father, if you as a mother do not understand how to answer that question, would you please get on to podcasts like this and look for information? There's plenty of podcasts out there. There's good ones out there. They can help you answer some of these questions. We have gone too long as a, as a local New Testament church and even as a family and told our kids to be quiet. Don't ask that question. They need to know. They need, they need the answer. And we do them a disservice when we don't answer it. Correct. And we really see the results of that in the leaving of the faith. There's a huge exodus from the church. And yep. unfortunately, I, I think it's really a result of malformed children. You know, if, if you have kids and you feed them milk until they're 18, and then you send them out into the world, they may not be very strong. They may have problems with their immune system, with their bone structure. If it's just been milk, their muscular structure be very poor. And we fed children milk in Bible study in Sunday school. They're malnourished. They're malnourished. You, you know, John Arthur, in, in reference to exactly what you're talking about, um, I've got a cousin who... Um, family were very devout, um, Baptist and, um, he went to college in, was it, I think, um, Oregon and <clears throat> got married while he was in Oregon, going to college there, spent numbers of years going to college there, um, got to where he was teaching there in the college, being a professor for numbers of years, and I think he still does work there teaching at the college, and did ended up becoming, believe it or not, did this deconversion, deconstruction thing before it was had a name of this, and he's a Buddhist now and has been for the past, I think, 10 years. And again, you know, I mean, it's, and, and they were very devout Baptist. But again, I think some of it comes down to this. I don't believe that we've done a good job building Christians who are prepared for this world. Instead, we've, we've given them emotionalism We've given them, in some cases, legalism, but there's no relationship with God. And I think a lot of that comes from the church's political stance. I think a lot of that comes from the church's political stance. And what I mean by that is that there is a an interesting way that the church has sort of dissected morality mm. around the uh, 11th commandment, uh, that separation of church and state, right? Yep. The, 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 that extra commandment of 
you cannot talk about politics in church. But the problem is, is, is abortion a moral issue or a political one? Somebody say amen. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think both. How about, how about the transgender issue about transitioning children at five years old and beginning puberty blockers? Is that a moral issue or is that a political issue or do I repeat myself? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, our pastor from many years ago, every law is a reflection of someone's morals. Every law is a reflection of someone's morals. I've said that law is you, you, you will get more law when you have abused a previous law. And if you think about it, you can go all the way back to the, to, to Adam and Eve. They had one law, one. And where did we go? Broke that one. And what did that now require? Well, now I've got murder on the books. So now I've got murder on the books and it just grows from there. And that really feeds into dispensationalism. Again, you can go really crazy with dispensationalism, but if you, if you just look at it for simple face value, God laid out one boundary and that tree very likely, it's very possible. There's nothing special about the tree other than God said no. And the very act of eating it changed man's relationship from innocence to unrighteousness. And it was, it was a, it was a boundary that God set up potentially, potentially just for the purpose of it being a low bar. It wasn't murder. It wasn't lying to God. It wasn't something else. It was something that was totally benign. And we still broke that law. And you will not be righteous until you were conformed, transformed, conformed to the image of Christ by the transforming of your nature, by the making of one of the two. And until until we see that, we're going to have a twisted idea about these rules. So, Mr. Steve, in the chair yes. of politics, how has the church created that second set of laws, a second set of moral laws, rather, in regards to the church versus the state? And how has that lost the church credit, church's credibility with the world when it comes to issues like abortion because if we're not talking about it in the in the pulpit is it really a value well kind of to the starting with your second one um which is a very good question you know like in regards to abortion i think you know some of these things we need to talk about them in the pulpit they really do need to be uh like you know, transitioning young children. That is just... uh, Who in the world would want to transition a four-year-old just because a four-year-old wants to say that I am a a male child saying I am a four-year... I am a, a girl really think about it i'm a a, a pirate i need Mm -hmm. to have an eye removed and a leg removed and walk around with a peg leg do you do that no you don't do that 
This they have an imagination you don't do. A, a parent does what is right for their child in the eyes of the Lord. And you do what is right and you raise them appropriately, not by letting your child make irresponsible decisions just because a child says, this is what I want to do. I want to, just like you were saying earlier, I want to play in the street. Even though there's a car coming down the road, but I want to play in the street anyways. No, you don't let your child do that. How dare you? Exactly. That's exactly right. Pure impotence. What he's talking about, though, is if the church doesn't talk about it, the politicians are. So whoever's got the voice, the active voice, is the one who's going to have the audience. That's and exactly so the right. silence, the silence of the church, just gives the the politicians or those who are looking for the votes, and and an audience is what it does. That's exactly right. When you, you know, give the devil the power of the truth, you mm-hmm. all lose. Yep. You know, the squeaky wheel is going to be greased. And it's time, like I talked about in the podcast last week, it's time for the church to get out of the back row, get in the front row, and start speaking up and start saying things. We need to start being louder and start speaking about morality and start speaking about what is right. It's just like what our pastor was talking about earlier today. We need to do the things what is right to help our children grow properly. Feed them what is right, what is good, and we don't do it by giving them the wrong things. And I would say that it's not even just speaking it, but it's also living it in front of them. Correct, Charlie. I will totally agree with you. You know, one of the things that I think we really do a disservice to our kids is we talk about politics and we moan and groan about it. Well, mom and dad, when's the last time that you got involved with the voting day? When's the last time that you signed up to be an alternate judge or a presiding judge at at an election? When's the last time that you talked about getting involved with a campaign just to see how things work? When's the last time that you decided to go to the uh, Capitol building to to meet with a representative? It, I could go on. Or you I mean, can say, you don't need to be saying those kinds of words, and then the, the parent turns around and cusses like a sailor. Yeah. It, you know, these, I these types an, of things. Yeah, I think you've laid out some really good things there, and I, I think it's a— If I were going to take it a step further, mom and dad, you need to live it in front of them to show why it matters. That that's the key. You got to show why. And just as importantly, I was looking for this quote from Eric Metaxas, but I couldn't quite find it. But I remember reading it. I believe it's in his open letter to the church in America. He said something to the effect of, "The American church is seeing the beginning of the horrors of 1930." In Germany. And he's saying, just like the church in Germany, the American church has been silent when she should be screaming at the rooftop for godly values. What was Tucker Carlson doing this last week? Hey, Christian leaders, where are you? 
right. It's about time someone calls them. Great question. question. Yes. Calls them to the carpet. And it's just like uh, some people try to talk about the separation of church and state and being in our, you know, constitution. constitution. Well, what Uh, people don't understand about separation of church and state, it is a church that is run by the state. We don't want that. We don't want a church-run state. We want a church that is run by the church, not the state. Let's be really clear here, though. They did have state-run churches when they set that. In America, what they had was state-run churches, not federally mandated churches. So there was a chance to escape religious persecution one place to the other. So let's not make any, let's not have any misconceptions about what Jefferson was talking about, because he was specifically writing to the Danbury church to say, guys, we are protecting you. We are not going to enforce a church, a specific Protestant mainline from someone else onto you. You guys will get to practice your faith in freedom. There is a state church, but that state church will... And, and I forget which which state the Danbury letters were written to. I'm having a bit of a brain fart here. Um, I don't remember but, either. But he was saying that you have the ability, even though there's a state-run church, you have the ability to worship freely. Just so that we're clear, it, they had churches run by the states, not by the federal, but by the local state when that was written. Just saying, guys, for those of you in the comment section about to comment, you know, I know who you are. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving moving forward to the chair of economics, I really wish Josh was here because I, I'm going to pose this question to y'all and I want to get your, your feedback because this is really where when you lose the plot, again, to clap back to Brett and Link, you miss out on the blessings of God. And I think the church has really missed the mark. After COVID, we've seen an incredible decline in church attendance big time oh yeah is it possible is it possible that the seeker friendly movement wasn't effective in fact quite the opposite is it possible that us creating a church that tickles the ears of those who do not want a confrontation with christ is it possible that 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 philosophy has come back to bite us in 2023 after we've emptied out a third of the pews and what kind of lesson, what lesson should we take away from that? In some states, in some states, in some states, not all states. I would uh, say that in like maybe California, New York, uh, East coast states where Lots of people still wear a mask, especially while they're driving by themselves, walk around in their homes by themselves wearing a mask, still want to have a six-foot rule from staying away from each other, and they want to have things going on to where, you know, it's like still dampened down with all of this COVID stuff, because they still believe that they got to have all of these extra boosters and 
all of this extra things that are going on, even though it's been proven that some of these shots aren't the best to have, especially when you got, you know, a lot of sports people dying on, you know, or having heart attacks and all of this kind of stuff. Pfizer is totally safe. You know, Moderna is totally safe. Yeah. YouTube, don't remove us. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> it's okay. It's a, yeah, they're still okay. No, but in all seriousness, but, in all seriousness, just to kind of pull us back onto on the task we have seen even in even in the, the church that i go to i've seen a huge amount of people who did not come back but what i do see now is the folks who are there have become stronger mm-hmm. and you look in even in texas even in the bible belt you've seen a third of the population it's just a statistical fact that's a i was going to say that's a legit number the the third is not overstating it and some people might think that is. That is not overstating it by any stretch. Many churches have experienced a minimum of a 33% drop in their attendance. Yeah. But what I think, I think what you were pulling towards, uh, Mr. Steve, was the type of people who did leave. And I want to be really cautious because a lot of us were fooled with COVID. Okay. Some of us, many of us are still fooled with COVID. I'm just mm-hmm. going to put that out there. And we have friends and family who have died from COVID in this yes. room, dear family members and friends. Although some of it, I would say, was medical malfeasance as opposed to COVID, but I'll leave that for another day. Not on YouTube. Rumble. Maybe there. But what we've seen is the spirit of fear. Yes. And where there's fear, there's not necessarily a lack of belief. But when it's chronic fear, it is something that... That is interesting. And I think there's been a huge gleaning or not gleaning. What's the right word? A weeding out, Mm -hmm. sorting of the wheat from the tear. Because there's a lot of people who made the habit of coming to church because it was a moral thing. And again, they had this idea of love that Rhett and Link were describing. This very soft, effeminate Jesus who doesn't really care whether or not you're playing in the street. He just wants you to, you know, to be happy playing in the street is a Jesus of unicorn lollipops and rainbows. Right. And I'll tell you what Christians, if you think that's what your God is, is a God of unicorn lollipop and rainbows. You clearly do not understand who your God really is. So that right there kind of encapsulates it. I want to get y'all's thoughts wrapping up for the day, but I think you, you sort of encapsulated it there is that we have a perverse view of Christ. Amen. And I think that's, I'm, I'm going to say this for my wrap up, but going around the room, Miss Nikki, final thoughts for the day on deconstruction on the road to deconversion. Actually, it's a fulfillment of, of prophecy. And um, I'm going to show you why I say that is because um, we're going to go to first John chapter two, 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, as he shared earlier, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. Now, the word manifest here is me. They wanted to make it apparent. 
They wanted to declare. They wanted to manifest the fact they're not with us. They're not of us. This is just a fulfillment of prophecy. I know they have their little groups and they get together and they comfort one another. We're deconverting. But really, Jesus or God's word has already prophesied about you. They already told us that this was going to happen. So this should not be shocking. And it's a sign of the times. So we know the time is short. This is, there's, there's nothing new. I would say that this is somewhat new because there have always been backslidden people. There are always the false Christians, but they didn't go out on social media and make a thing of it as they are today. Um, but they didn't have social media per se in that time either. And, exactly. and, 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 and this would, is this is rising up. This is this is me elevating my opinion over the word of God. Here's my opinion, and this is why God is wrong. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a self elevation, self glorification. Absolutely. Agreed. Any other thoughts? Moving over to the chair of philosophy, Clint. Final thoughts for the day. I feel like most deconversion is, I don't want to say all of them. I want to say most due to the fact of poor discipleship. I feel like the, cause when I got saved at a young age, no one came up to me and asked me questions. They asked the basic question. Do you believe that you got saved? You know, the water don't do anything for you. Yes. 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 All right. But no one came after and was like, Hey, how are you doing with your walk? No one really did that. I mean, my father tried his best, but I was very closed off as a kid on answering tough questions. Only now, my my dad would ask me a question, and we'd get in a full-blown conversation, and I adore him for that, right? My father's been, you know, chipping at my, my stupid head for a while now and broke through, right? I adore my dad for doing that, but the church should also be doing the same. And I feel like most deconversion people are ha having struggles. They're struggling. These are struggling people, right? And if you are struggling, reach out to somebody. I mean, our Twitter is open. I'm basically on there every day doing nothing. I mean, if y'all have issues and problems and questions, I might not be the smartest gent in the room, but I can answer some basic questions and I can research. I can do the hard work that if you're not willing to do, I'm willing to do it for you. If that helps you advance as a Christian, right? I'm willing to give you the clothes off my back so you can progress with Christ. And, and, your, and your dad's a good, do. your dad's a good uh, person to also help. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's a real good resource. I live with the man. So <laughs> he's a good guy. Like your absolutely. Dad. So moving over to the chair. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Moving over to the chair of culture. Final thoughts for the day. There is no such thing as deconversion. Agreed. Period. There is not. And the thing is, is that you can't, I, I love what Nikki said earlier, you cannot unbirth a birth. If you think you're deconverting, you were never birthed. That's the problem. And to take it even a step further, that's sad because it shows where you currently are. Indeed. Mr. Steve. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I completely agree with Nikki and Charlie, even though they are husband and wife. <laughs> <laughs> There's some bias. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think politicians need to get their stinky feet out of the church 
and uh, uh, the pastors need to preach a little bit more on uh, some of these moral issues that are going on in the pulpit. And like we talked about a little bit earlier, the abortion, transgender issues, because these are some major issues that are going on with families, uh, super major things that are going on, and people are having problems with them. I mean, all you got to do is get on like uh, Twitter, get on YouTube, see some of these things that are happening. I mean, they got people in school teachers that are pushing this on to students at a very young age, kindergarten, first, second grade. Some of them are like, that's their major studies. They don't even, they're not even teaching them math, social studies, reading. I mean, come on. I mean, some of these schools, they're, they are way down on some of these things, but hey, they know about transgender issues and, you know, them, they, him, her, and all of this stuff. That's ridiculous. And the sad thing is the church, the place where they should be hearing first about all these things, has relegated it to the political and ultimately, because of the political realm the being over the Correct. education system, they've relegated it to, the, to politics. Correct. And they have created two tracks of morality what is ex- what is permissible to talk about in church and what is not it's not permissible to talk about divorce but it is permissible to talk about the lgbt issue but not too much you can't quite talk about it and beyond mm-hmm. a certain point because separation of church and state but we can definitely hate those people right that's what the world sees i mean that, you know we what has happened to uh the houston school district States taking it over because of their grades, man. Because they're so focused on the ideology, there's no exactly. schooling learning. And just again, make no mistake, when you go to school, you are going to be indoctrinated. doesn't matter which school you go to, whether it's a Christian school, no. whether it's a secu- secular school, secular humanist school would be the correct definition, the full definition of a secular school, quote unquote. It does not matter where you go. You will be raised in learning doctrine. You will have doctrine taught to you. You will be indoctrinated. That is the definition of schooling. I can't remember. I don't mean to interrupt you, John Arthur, but I can't remember the name of this one Christian university, but the politicians are trying to make them turn their dorms into a point to where have transgender students live in female dorms mm-hmm. and take showers with them, where it's always been for the history of these uh, universities where it's only been women in these dorms. How, how, how stupid is this? Just like they had to be barefoot, cooking in the kitchen, and pregnant, they got to be dealing with the men in their dorms. It's it's the same. It's the same people. Mm-hmm. It's the same people that they cry about in the fifties, the, the buttholes who were talking to nurses, you know, as as doctors, and thought that they could do whatever. You know, the, the, just just take any any TV show where you had the sexist chauvinist male, 
Sorry, guys, that was a leftist back then. It is a leftist right now, and it is a leftist who is coming for your females dorms and your Uh females bathroom stalls. Just saying. Now, on the note of deconversion, kind of trying to bring it back into topic here, just to finish up for the day. We have not given an accurate reflection of Christ. We have not given an accurate reflection of Christ as a church because Christ, when he is accurately reflected, changes lives. Does that mean that everyone will be saved? Quite obviously not. What that does mean is if someone is within your ranks, there will quickly come a point if you are being honest with them and you're honestly reflecting Christ and you are honestly being Christ's hands and feet on earth. If you are in tune with the spirit as a congregation, that person will feel out of place early. And hopefully they come to a confrontation with God that changes them. People are allowed to come in and come out and not have a confrontation with God. They never have their burning bush moment. So they're never given an opportunity to change. And then they walk out the door saying this is bunk and garbage because they never had an encounter with God. May God be seen here is my prayer. May God be seen here in us. May God be seen here in our respective places of worship. May God be known. That is the prayer that I would pray this week for you as we send you off. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, Rumble, thank you for joining us. We've got uh, 70, I, I, I think we have 70 subscribers now on Rumble. Woo-hoo. Rumble. We've got, uh, I think it's, a, it's approaching, it's like 175,000 downloads on the podcast. Thank you on audio. All thank right. you guys. Thank you. In, a, in almost two years, we're, we're, we're barking up on Closer to them, farther from 200,000 downloads. Amazing. Thank you, guys. YouTube, you see what you're doing. And uh, I don't like it, but thank you. At least we know that we're on the right track. If you are a YouTube editor or someone of that ilk, go ahead and smash that dislike button twice. We love you all so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay. What? If you're still here. You're a super listener, or we put you to sleep. Last thing we have for you today. Who was the hardest, either deconversion or falling away for you personally to witness? Who deconverted or fell from grace in such a way that it did not look like they were saved? That harmed you, like actually hurt you, saddened you the most. You can say pass. And I'll come back around to you if you don't have one. I really don't have one. I'll They're all sad to me. They're all sad. And one of the things I've, I've told my, my kids to expect is that to expect people that they know and love to fall away. Clint, got anyone? I can't say no one's. Because for me and my family, no one's was really a Christian. No one was really in God. And I saw that as a little kid because I knew what was true. And I knew they were just playing a facade. So when they left, it wasn't a real shocker to me because I'm like, well, you did that, this, that. It's not really a shock to me. It's the fact that you're cutting us off from you because you don't like what we think. I think that's what hurts me the most. Mr. Steve. Yeah. Um, I think my brother, um, not that he said he deconverted or deconstructed, but <clears throat> excuse me, that um, 
number, I'd say probably seven, eight years ago, he said he had given his life to Christ uh, to a guy that uh, he had talked to, that he worked with. And it's been over the past couple of years that I really haven't noticed that, uh, even for a number of years, I haven't really seen that. And he has here recently the way he has uh, treated my mother and I had to like he was living with my n- mother for a number of years and I had to kick him out of her house just because of the way he was treating her and it, it wasn't a pleasant situation and he basically has just kind of like disowned my mother and I and it's it's not something that a Christian would really do and he has no intention of doing anything about it. And he just, you know, stays out of contact, has nothing to do with it anymore. That's hard. You know, so, I I had one kind of like that. And I'm not going to share too many details because they they might hear this if I'm not careful. They They went from the faith and it was very hard. And someone made the mistake of telling them when they said, I, I'm what you would have called a false convert. And the person, and this well-known preacher said, okay, I guess you are. And it put this person in the lowest possible of states. That was a hard one to watch. Yeah. That wasn't who I was going to say, though. I was going to say Robbie Zacharias. I, I have to tell you, John Arthur, to me, that wasn't a deconversion. That was a fall. Um. And I would say if he was alive, I would say that you would see him living differently. I, I would agree. I would after, agree. After uh, he, come out. he actually went through my mind. And the only reason I didn't bring him up was because I really didn't see him as a quote unquote deconversion. I said uh, deconversion or fall. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and so I, I should have picked up on the word fall. Um, that, that one would rank up there. There's another one that yeah. I actually know who has some public prominence. I'll also withhold because some of that isn't isn't public. Maybe it should be, maybe it shouldn't. But it's always hard. Yes. It's always hard to watch. With that said, in the comment section, um, John Arthur, don't overshare. I'd just like but to put it in there. If you have someone that you feel like you watched them deconvert and it was hard, final thoughts from Steve. Yeah, um, I know my brother has listened to this thing a few times. And if he is listening to this, I'd just like to say that, you know, he and I had just been the closest ever since we since birth and you know i love my brother to death and i just love for us to get back together because he is one of the closest people i've ever had in my life and i would just like for him to get back together and you know be close again so you know and just have a a close life together and get back together with the Lord and have some good conversation again. Amen. Maybe so. With that said, we love you all. Have a wonderful week. Bye. 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 Bye.